Welcome to the Uncivilized Podcast. My name is Trevor Bohm and I will be your host. Every week or so, I try to get myself a fascinating human on the mic for you, someone who looks at the civilized world just like you do and says no thank you. Someone who wants to break some rules, to lead, and to bring their unique vision into the world. Someone for whom the status quo simply will not do. I hope you enjoy these conversations as much as I do. Please dive in. Hey gang, welcome back to the Uncivilized Podcast. This is Trevor Boehm, your host. And if you are a new listener, welcome to the podcast. Today I have a very interesting man who I'm speaking about a very touchy subject with. Uh, I met Bodine Sanders when he didn't realize he was joining an Instagram live I was doing. He thought he was just coming on to the live, but he actually requested to talk to me by accident. And then we shot the shit for a few minutes about who he is and what he does. And he has written this really interesting book called The Race Against Against Race. And Bodine Sanders is a black man and he is an athlete. He played football for Villanova. He played football for his whole life and is using this book and using his experience as an athlete to try to open up a reasonable dialogue in this country around race. And I love Bodine Sanders because of the word reasonable, because he actually looks at the world in the very similar way that I do, which is when people have common ground, they can create relationship. And if they're choosing to find common ground, it's there and it can find it. And so I brought him on just about a year after, well, the world or America decided to tear itself apart after George Floyd got killed. And I specifically remember all of the woke Instagram yoga spirituality coaches taking two weeks off of selling love and light workshops in Bali to attack each other and lose their minds. And here we are about a year later, and still it's a very touchy subject uh, here in the U.S. And so Bodine Sanders and I just dive into sports and the relationships that come from sports and the unique cultures that exist in sports. And we're not saying that racism and sexism and classism and all the isms don't exist in sports. But man, when you're on a high-level team, all of that shit gets put to the side. And what do you know? People get along. And people work towards a common goal. So I, I know you guys are going to enjoy this episode. I love talking with Bodine Sanders. He is so full of passion and so full of energy. I have a feeling we're going to be doing a lot of work together in the future. Please enjoy this episode. And if you get something out of it, please help me share it. Pass it to one other person or head to iTunes or Spotify or wherever you're listening to this and give us a positive rating. As I said, many times I've challenged Ryan, my media director, to double the number of podcast listens in the next two months. And so he's working his tail off to get the podcast out there. And so I'm going to ask you to do the same. Here we go. Without further ado, Bodine Sanders. Bodine Sanders, welcome to the Uncivilized Podcast, my friend. Thank you so much for joining us. Traver, thank you very much. I appreciate it. So you and I met sort of informally on a Instagram live the other day, and I was immediately grabbed by both your book and your willingness just to compare teamwork to some other things that are going on culturally. So I can't wait to dive into this conversation with you. For anyone in my awesome. audience who doesn't know who you are, would you mind giving us just a quick down and dirty on who is Bodine Sanders? Well, absolutely. I am a author and an advocate for diversity and inclusion. My book debuted six months ago as of yesterday. Congratulations. Oh, two, two days ago, December 22nd. The title of my book is Race Against Against Race, mm. My Journey of Diversity and Inclusion Through Sports. And basically what I did was over the years, people have been telling my story mm and doing a better job at telling my story. And then Howie Long says to me, oh, no, 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 no. You should put that on paper. And when Howie Long says do something, yeah. you know, he's wise, he's seasoned, he's worldly, mm -hmm. he's a hall of famer. Right. But when he tells you to do something, you take notice. And mm -hmm. so that's how the book came up, 
came about. And what's interesting is I grew up in the South, mm -hmm. which I, in my book, say the former Southern Confederate South, okay. right? Because it's, it's still the, the Confederate South, but it's not really known today. People don't describe it that way today, right? Mm -hmm. So that's my way of taking people back and connecting what's in the rearview mirror mm -hmm. versus what's in front of us, right? right? And so when you grow up the way I grew up in a majority or predominantly black neighborhood, community, high school, there's still room for 5% of our white brothers and sisters, but it's very small, right? Mm -hmm. And then you go off to college and you, you, you're, the first college you attend is the oldest HBCU in the country founded in 1837, Cheney University, right, here in Pennsylvania. And then I transferred to Villanova. And for those who may not have heard of Cheney, understood small black school, right? But a lot of people have heard of Villanova, especially when you win national basketball championships. Right. And, and you follow sports, Brian Westbrook, Brian Finneran, a couple of basketball players that are playing in the NBA finals right now. So people have heard of Villanova, a Irish Catholic school, private, but very affluent. Mm -hmm. That's where the diversity comes in. Hmm. Going from where I came from to where I ended up yeah. and then finishing my journey with a positive outcome. Wow. And that's Bodine Sanders. I love it. I love it. What was the most, I, I want to ask a, a odd question, but what was the unintended consequence of going from, and like, what did you not think would happen that did happen going from a, a black university to Villanova? What did I think that would not happen that did happen? Yeah, like what was an unintended positive consequence? Oh, absolutely. Wow, there were so many. But one that I, I can easily describe, I went from being coached by all Black men my career, mm -hmm. entire career, playing football, and then I get to Villanova and there's one black coach on the coaching staff, which meant the chances, the ratio, the percentage of that one black coach being my specific position coach mm -hmm. was slim to none. And I was yeah. right. So yeah. when I got there, my first position coach uh, turned out to be a white coach and I'd never had that before. Huh. It never dawned on me that that could possibly happen. Huh. But it turned out to be a very good thing. It started off rocky, and it didn't start off rocky on his end. It started off rocky on my end. Hmm. I was the one that needed to elevate, enhance, grow, and mature. Mm -hmm. He had diversity in his coaching experience. right? So it wasn't an issue with him being coaching a Black athlete. Sure. My issue was being coached by a white coach because I had never been coached one by one before. And if I can ask, Bodine, what was the the feeling behind the issue for you? Like, if you could just just like tease that out a little bit for people listening and going, like, why does it even matter? Is it's a position coach? Who fucking cares? He could be a, you yep. know, it doesn't matter. Yep. the The reason why the details matter is because of my experience hmm. or lack of experience. And what I mean by that, let's dig a little deeper. When you grow up in the South, you grow up on the black side of town. Mm. Growing up in the South has a different history than growing up in Denver or in California or in New York, right? For sure, for sure. So because of the way I grew up, even though I grew up in a Southern Baptist church, I had a spiritual foundation. I still heard and understood the stuff that was in the rearview mirror, meaning our history in the South. Mm -hmm. So if I never had any white friends, if I had never had any white teammates, if I didn't have any white neighbors in the neighborhood that I played with that, that were peers of mine, mm -hmm. 
how is that going to be all of a sudden meet a white coach for the first time and be like, yay, we're going to get along. I, I had no idea how to get along. Right. I never had one. So that's why it's an it was an issue for me. Again, for me, not for him, yeah. but for me. So I had to adjust. Now, how did I adjust? I relied on my teammates. Mm. My teammates, Nate Booknight from Norristown, Bobby Rosado from, from the main line, uh, Jay Curcio. I relied on my immediate teammates, guys that I was spending more time with, meaning other defensive backs. Mm -hmm. Not defensive linemen, not linebackers, but other defensive backs who had diversity in their background. Mm -hmm. They were able to say, Bo, listen, he's a player's coach. He's not a salesman, right? You know what that means. You can trust what he says. You can believe what he says. And when he speaks, everybody listens, right? So they were able to help me evolve and grow and leave what was in the rearview mirror further back and then look forward. And then he was able to pull me aside and say, hey, listen, you're a good athlete. What do you want out of Villanova? And I said, I want to make the team because I can't, you know, we were start. First of all, we started a football program over again. So almost everybody was a, a retread, right? Gotcha. So my goal was to come in, transfer from another school, right? earn my way on the team and get a scholarship. That was my goal. And he asked me what my goal was. Hmm. So when he asked me what my goal was and I told him what I wanted to do, he looked me in the eye and said, if you follow what I tell you and teach you, I will make you what you want to be. So I had to then give him I had to give him, Traber, the same level of respect I gave my black coaches. Right. So once I gave him the same level of respect I gave my black coaches in my career, it was on. Yeah. It was on. It was now it was time to step up and show him. And I believe what he was telling me. And then he also told me, don't rely on your athletic ability. Put your head in the books, the playbook. <laughs> The playbook is going to allow you to react faster, move quicker than you already are. Mm. Don't just rely on your athletic ability that you're going to get to from point A to point B. No, this is a cerebral game as well as a physical game. And those who master both of those will be all right. So mm. it was just a matter of building a relationship. Right. I love it. I love it. Thank you for sharing. And thank you for sharing it so openly. Can I can I ask what was your your process of kind of integrating yourself to, with white teammates? Because this was the first time you'd ever played on a mixed team. Is that correct? That is correct. Yeah. How, how were those relationships formed? And did you have the same level of resistance or any resistance? No, because I had a foundation. I had two foundations. I had a spiritual foundation because I grew up in a Southern Baptist church every Sunday morning. A, a, a big yellow bus will come to our house, pick my siblings and I up and take us to our grandmother's church. We go to Sunday school. Then we'd have a break, a snack, or if you didn't eat breakfast, you can have a full breakfast. And then you would go to church. So for those who don't know, Southern churches and then Southern Baptist black churches aren't an hour long. <laughs> they are pretty much all day, right? Till at least two or three o'clock, right? Right, right? So, <laughs> so when you grow up with a Southern a, a spiritual foundation and then you have a sports foundation, right? Mm. Teamwork, teammates, respect, discipline, trust, mm -hmm. right? All those things that good coaches teach their players. When you have both of those and your feet are on solid ground, mm -hmm. then you then your teammates are easy mm -hmm. to build a relationship with because your peers, right. right? You're talking about some of the same things, right? right? You're kind of going through some of the same things. The only major difference is, is 
where you're from and your experiences. But once you start to share those, mm-hmm. and the next thing you know, you find common ground, right? You mm-hmm. find common ground. You find out that you and your teammates, even though they look different than you, even though some of them are from above middle class, some of them are from wealthy families, that you all like Bruce Lee movies. <laughs> yes, sir. Right? Yeah. So, so, so people might say, well, why is that a big deal? Well, if you grew up with no white friends and only mm. you, the only friends in your neighborhood are black and the majority of your black friends like Bruce Lee movies. Right. And then you find out that white, your white peers like Bruce Lee movies too. Now you find out something you didn't know. Right. Then you go, wow. We have a lot in common. So then you talk about Bruce Lee movies, Amen. right? You talk about how you're, you're the older men used to act like they were Bruce Lee and everybody laughed because everybody had an uncle who thought they were Bruce Lee, right? <laughs> <laughs> so you you find common ground by just exchanging yeah. stories. You don't start off a relationship talking about difficult topics. You start off the same way you did when you were a kid and you just wanted somebody to go to the park with and play a pickup game with. Hey, my name is, I have a basketball or I have a soccer ball. What are you doing? What's your name? Let's go to the park and play or let's go in the backyard and play. It's just that simple. It's not rocket science. We as adults make it difficult. (laughs) Yes, I completely agree. Just to keep, just for another second or so to stay in the school aspect or the school chapter, mm-hmm. what was an unexpected hardship of this or something that was an unexpected challenge? So I asked the unintended consequence of positivity. What if, is there one that you went, oh, wow, I didn't think that would be the case in a challenge sense? Oh, I was, I was homeless for about a week. I did not earn a scholarship. That coach, Coach Ferraro, who was my first position coach, ended up taking another job and leaving. And, you know, coaches come and go, right? The head coach might stay, but the assistant coaches, if they find a better opportunity, they leave. He finds a better opportunity. After he got me to the point where I was now called the hammer, that was my nickname, the hammer, right? And he leaves. So school is going well. Football is going well. I think he's pulling me aside to tell me I'm earning a scholarship because of my uh, play on the field that season. Mm -hmm. No, he's telling me he's leaving. Mm. So next thing you know, I'm at a very expensive school. No offer of any kind of financial aid. Mm. I only have enough money to pay for uh, tuition, not room and board. Okay. The new position coach comes in, and for some reason, uh, we don't see eye to eye. Mm-hmm. So you can imagine how devastating all of that is. Sure. And next thing you know, I've got teammates allowing me to crash on their couch, mm-hmm. right? They call it couch surfing, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so I had two black teammates that would that allowed me to stay in their room for a, a, a night or two, and then another two black teammates that allowed me to stay in their room, sleeping on the floor, not the couch, but sleeping on the floor for a night or two until I could work things out. Mm-hmm. And then one of those other teammates. Uh, it didn't turn out to be two nights. It was one night because he was a ladies' man, so he had constantly women. So I didn't want to. You know, I didn't want to ruin his 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 thing. So I said, let me just find two other guys. So the next thing you know, I end up on the second floor with two teammates who were uh, sophomores and great guys. And so something told me to just go next door to two other teammates and knock on their door and say hi, see how they were doing. And one of those teammates' father had passed away during the summer. So because you know how it is, you have preseason practice, then you roll into the season. So it was difficult to get some private time with him to express how sorry 
I was to hear that his father, who was a coach at a major university, passed away right on the football field. Oh, wow. Right. So I went next door to knock on the door, say my give him my condolences and say, hey, I'm next door. Next thing you know, these two teammates already know that I'm sleeping on the floor next door and their names is Perry Hodge, who's a freshman starting punter, backup quarterback from Hilton Head, South Carolina, white, and Rich, Big Country, his nickname, Big Country Lage, tight end, six four and a half, right, 250. And I knock on the door, open the door, say my condolences. Big Country says, oh, we hear you, you, you're sleeping next door because, you you know, you've you got some issues going on. I say, yeah, I'm going to work it out. He goes, well, I, you know, you can stay here all year if you want. Forget that night to night crap. You can stay here all year. And then a freshman, and we were juniors, mm-hmm. a freshman steps up and says, yeah, Bodine, where's your stuff? We'll move you in right now. You can stay here all year. Now, that blew me away. Yeah. Right? <clears throat> Two guys, I went to three different sets of people that look like me because, of course, when you're at a school and you're a minority, the thing to say is, you know, we got each other's back, right? Mm-hmm. That's I'm just being real. Sure. That is something that's said. But who really steps up mm-hmm. beyond you could stay here and crash one or two nights? Two guys I didn't anticipate. Big Rich Lage from Charlottesville, Virginia, which is the South. Yeah, that's the South. <laughs> right? People don't think of it when you're when you're below Virginia. You, you you may not think that anything like if you're in North Carolina, South Carolina, most people from other parts of the country may think, oh, Virginia, that's north. No, no. For any Delaware, Maryland, Virginia, North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, Florida is considered the South, right? So you got three guys from three different parts of the South, one black, two white. The kid from uh, Hilton Head is rich. The, the, uh, the other guy is middle class because his dad was a coach. And then me, I like to say our family floated above and beyond, above and below the line of poverty, depending on what kind of job my mom had, right? Mm-hmm. So you had three different economic classes, Three different religions, Baptist, Lutheran, and Episcopal, three different parts of the South. People didn't think it would last a week. It lasted the full year. Wow. Because we were able to build a relationship with each other that went beyond the football field. Yeah. We really got to know each other. Mm. And that was part of my journey and evolution because I've been in this diversity and include and it wasn't called diversity back in the day it was called a melting pot but Mm -hmm. I've been in this mentally in Mm -hmm. this space of diversity and inclusion and you might as well throw equity in there too sure since 1984 Mm. wow wow can we switch to your book what what inspired you to write this book other than Howie Long (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> well, if you if you remember Colin Kaepernick taking the knee mm-hmm. and the reason he took a knee, he didn't do a really great job. He did a good job, but not a great job of delivering the message of why he was taking a knee. He had a little small press conference in the locker room but he didn't allow PR people, his PR people to continue the message. So the message got diluted Mm -hmm. and ended up in a hundred different places. And when that happened, if I'm driving down the street in my vehicle or I'd be sitting in my living room watching TV and I'd hear media folks on TV or radio say, we need to have the race conversation. Oh, it drove me crazy Mm. because I knew Athletes on diverse teams 
had the race conversation because we're together so much, especially during the season, that mother nature makes it where you're going to have a conversation. It may start with food, music, movies, pop culture, the clothes you're wearing, the the hairstyle you may have. Mother nature makes it where you're going to have the race conversation in one way or the other. So athletes have had that conversation. And I'm like, hold on. Why doesn't the media know that at least athletes on diverse teams that play together have those conversations? So I said, well, maybe it's because they're not looking for it. Hmm. They're not looking for it. Yeah, same so way with that. Right? Well, if you think about it, when you're watching TV – and you're watching a sporting event and pregame or halftime their the media's job is to get you excited for the event mm-hmm. make you feel good so they do those blocks 5 minute blocks 10 minute blocks of make you feel good right so they interview an athlete and you hear that athlete be it a female athlete or male athlete, and you hear those athletes say, we're a team, we're a family, we love each other. That makes everybody feel good, doesn't it? <laughs> but they don't go deeper than that. They don't They don't ask, how did you come mm-hmm. to love your teammates mm-hmm. and, and respect your teammates? They, In other words, they don't want to know how the sausage is made. Right. <laughs> they just want to feed the feel good yeah. And move on to the next block. And I said to myself, okay, that's an opportunity. And that was, that's that's how I got to the point where I said, you know, that's when I got to the point where I said, okay, let, let maybe I can turn this into a story. And I had the opportunity to talk to, uh, I'm a board member of a, a local nonprofit called the Delaware County Press Club. And I'd been a member for a long time. And so there are enough people in the media, Mm. enough authors, entrepreneurs, where I did my research. And after doing all that research, I said, okay, I think I can, because my major at Villanova wasn't English or communications or marketing, (laughs) right? It was liberal arts and sociology, right? So I had to convince myself and build confidence that I was going to sacrifice and take the opportunity to, because if I was going to do it, I was going to do it right. I was not going to be one of those people that said, yeah, I started writing a book 30 years ago and then I stopped and then, no, no, no. You started, you better finish it. So (laughs) that's kind of how it started. I know a lot of people who are writing books, right? (laughs) Right. And you don't want to be that person, right? Right. If you're competitive, right. You don't want to be that person. Amen. Wow. Do you feel like the sports paradigm? Because I grew up in the same way. I grew up playing sports my entire life, all the way through college. And then after college even. And I, I think it warped me to the idea that, Sure, I was smart enough to realize racism exists, class, all the isms exist. And yet every team I was on had people from all over the world. Everybody I trained with was from all over the world, be that jujitsu, be it MMA, be it even water polo. We had people from all kinds of diverse backgrounds. Mm-hmm. And I never gave a fuck. It was like, can you pass the ball? Are you going to work hard? Will you teach me that move you just beat me with? Are you fun to hang out afterwards or hang out with afterwards? Are you a good person? And I really think, Bodine, that now when I hear about, you know, overt or blatant racism, I understand that it exists. But I go, but I never, I was never really exposed to it. And, and yes, I'm sure that's, we can see that's privilege. That's whatever. I just, it, I wasn't the minority except for, you know, a five-year stint where I lived in Asia. Do you think that the sports model or the team model is... And I don't know how to ask this other than saying, does it warp the people in it? Or is it actually the model that we want the people outside of to start looking into? Does that that make sense? Absolutely the latter. Okay. It's the latter. We want people who sit and enjoy sports to really dig deep into it instead of just enjoying it. If you enjoy it so much, then 
model it, mm -hmm. right? In sports, we know it's okay to imitate the other team's success. Yeah. It's okay. Mm -hmm. If somebody, whoever created the, the, um, the reverse, <laughs> right? <laughs> everybody does the reverse. Whoever right. created the Hail Mary, now everybody will try to Hail Mary. Right. It's okay to right. imitate success. Mm. That's what people need to do. Okay. And, and, and we can stick with sports success, but the military to right. me is the ultimate, right? Right. But I wasn't in the military, so I didn't write about it. Sure. But my dad was, my brother was. Sure. I wrote about what I know to be a fact. But the military is the perfect example because you know as well as I do, and most people, if they're sensible, know if you're in a war and you're fighting for a cause and you have an enemy in their ditch on the other side and you're in a foxhole, what matters? <laughs> right. What matters? <laughs> so, so I, I can't write about that because I, again, I wasn't in the military. But football is close to it. Sure, sure. When you're eleven on eleven, right, right, and I was a strong safety. I don't like using offense as an example, but most people understand the quarterback and the wide receivers and the offensive line and the running back. The quarterback is in charge. The quarterback in the huddle calls the play. Nobody questions the quarterback. Mm -hmm. The quarterback knows what everybody's doing, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and what's great about when that ball is hiked, each wide receiver, even though they're wide receivers, have a different job. Mm -hmm. The running back and tight end have a different job. Mm -hmm. Even though there's five offensive linemen, they all individually have a different job. Collective, collectively, their entire job is to get 10 yards to get a first down. You got four times to do it. Right. Right. So in other words, we all have a goal, but we all have our individual responsibilities to make sure we get that goal. Right. And it's up to you to win your individual battle. Mm -hmm. So, yes, sports is a perfect example because we've gone through this. We've seen this movie before. We've developed Right. It started out that sports started out inclusive. Hmm. It did. It started out inclusive where people of color and Native Americans could play. And then all of a sudden the rules changed. They moved the goalposts and said nobody who's not white can't play. Hmm. Right. So then you had to go through that fight, that struggle. Now look where we are. It's a meritocracy on the field is a meritocracy, right? Mm -hmm. Whoever's the best plays that position. We don't care if you're running back and you're white, if you can, if you can run and you can cut, right? Yeah. McCaffrey, right? Right, right, right. He's a baller. Right, right. right it right. don't matter that right. he's white. He right. can ball. Right. Now, People who try to get deep and bring in the political or social aspect of it and say, well, why is he the only white running back? Maybe other white parents didn't allow their son who dreamed about being a running back continue to play it. That's not the NFL's fault. Right. Just like it's not the NFL's fault that more quarterbacks aren't quarterbacks. Black quarterbacks aren't quarterbacks. Mm -hmm. If you're good enough, you're going to play quarterback because the coach is getting paid too much money to switch a guy who could be a better quarterback to wide receiver. Back in the day, they could do that. But nowadays, if a coach wants to maintain his job, he's going to be like, I want the best guy at quarterback to take my team downfield. Mm -hmm. So sure, it would be nice to have more black quarterbacks. But be happy and be un understand that the five that we have are pretty darn good. Yeah, and is. those teams enjoy them being their, their leaders on the team. Yeah. Hope you guys are loving this chat with Bodine. I certainly did. I want to introduce all you new members to the Uncivilized Nation. This is my personal men's group and membership group for guys who are looking for a judgment-free space 
to grow, to build, to heal, and to uncivilize themselves. We have speakers coming in. We have challenges every month. We have guys split into teams so they don't feel like they're going at this alone. If you are a man or you know a man who's looking to live an exceptional life, come check us out, www.manuncivilized.com forward slash the nation. All right, back to Bodine. How do we look at the sports model and not bypass the reality of culture, right? Where you and I can say, okay, you know, there's 15 seconds left in a game. I do not give a flying fuck what anybody believes, who they sleep with, who they think created the world, what they look like. Like, that's how I want to live my life. And then I hear from outside culture, like, well, you're just ignoring the facts here. This isn't real life, though. Sports aren't real life. So you're, you're, just, you're just washing out what, what the reality is. How do you meld those two to say one's not just a really unique context that doesn't exist outside of that context? Mm-hmm. How do we bridge this without also, I don't want to say ignoring, but downplaying that there still are very real racial issues in this country? Well, first of all, if someone said to me, sports isn't real life, I'd look at them like they have two heads and say, <laughs> hold on, sports is, a, is the number one revenue generating entertainment on the planet. Mm-hmm. If you add all <clears throat> sports teams and leagues and how much money and revenue that they generate yeah. and make, it's probably bigger than the music industry. For sure. The movie industry, right? Because we know soccer is globally the number one sport, not American football. No, it's soccer. Soccer is like it's, 10x, right? It's, it's soccer, 10X. right? Yeah. So first I'd say to someone, hold on, uh, sports is a business. It's an industry, just mm-hmm. like selling cars mm-hmm. and selling bread. Mm-hmm. It's an industry. It's a business. People have worked their entire careers in that industry and it's pretty obviously obvious that owners and some players have made a lot of money in that industry so to say that sports is not real life well i'm sorry what kind of job do you have and i'm pretty sure you would like to change positions and get drafted (laughs) to now work in that industry so that immediately crushed to me that crushes crushes that but socially sports has the ability to keep the distractions and not a hundred percent but it does a great job of keeping the distractions at bay Mm. because you have to focus on what's important in order to win right if you're not focused, your teammates, right? It's up to the team to police itself. And if the team can't police a bad, a, a player with a bad attitude, then the coach will try. And if the coach can't change, the chances are the coach goes to the general manager and says, hey, listen, on a pro level, mm-hmm. this guy's a distraction. Can you please get rid of him? Mm-hmm. Then you're out of a job. Sure. So sports, not just on the playing field, but off the playing field, is also a good example of how everybody has a goal. The goal is the beginning of the season, look down the road and say, we want to win a championship. Mm -hmm. If you're not on board with that, get the heck out of here because everybody else is going to leave you. I mean, think about it as in, in the little leagues, like I didn't start playing football until the eighth grade, which is back then was called uh, junior high. Mm-hmm. I remember my first day of practice like it was yesterday. And, you know, we all take a knee. Right. And that's another thing about Colin Kaepernick. And, and, and that confused me because, you know, as well as I do, the way you show coaches respect and a coach shows you as a player's respect is to say, take a knee. Mm-hmm. I got to talk. Right. Coach stands up. And he he's now in this teaching mode. He's looking around the circle and teaching guys. So I was always taught. You show respect by taking any. So, but when you first day at practice, you know, I'm looking around and I have no experience and I'm thinking, okay, how am I going to fit in? How am I going to prove 
that I deserve, I've never played football, never put on shoulder pads before. How am I going to prove I deserve to be on this team? So I'm listening to the coaches and what they're saying. And the goal was, we want to win. If you want to be part of this team, you follow my rules. You do what's what I tell you to do, right? You follow the rules. You do what you follow the process. If you trust me as your coach, I'm going to put you in a position. If you do what I tell you to do, if you work hard, if you follow the other coaches instructions, then we'll win. Winning feels good. So you want to do what you can to win, right? So if everybody believes in the goal of wanting to win and be a champion, because with that comes what? Privilege. Mm. It's not just white privilege. Everybody in some way or another has a privilege, Mm -hmm. right? Athletes have privilege, no matter if you're white or black, right? Right. It's just how you use that privilege. Sure. Do you use it for good or do you squander it? Mm-hmm. Right. So there everybody, if you're in a marching band, there's a difference between being in the marching band at Lehigh University and being in a marching band at a HBCU. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> if you're at FAMU, if you're at Howard, right, if you're at the big time. Uh, uh, Grambling, right? Those big time HBCUs that are considered like Duke and Harvard and Yale, right? If you get those big time HBCUs and you're in the marching band, you get more respect than the football team. Mm. Because in our culture, the marching band rules. Mm. So there's privilege to be a drum major in a marching band. So everybody get everybody has privilege one way or another. So I don't I don't really buy into that that privilege thing, but Yes, sports can be a great example of how the fans act, Mm. how the parents of the players act, right? There are certain things you have to do in order to win. And you keep the distractions out and you focus on the game plan Mm -hmm. and the season plan if you want to at least get to the championship and have an opportunity to win it. Mm -hmm. I hope that answers your question. It it does. I'm curious, how how do we... How do we take that model and put it culturally if the the end goal often seems different for different people? Like on a, on a team, it's real clear. We want to win. We want to win this game. We want to win the season. We want to win the state championship. We want to win the national championship. As a culture, it feels like in the U.S. right now, we have no fucking idea what we're trying to win. We're not. A lot of people are just upset at the word winning. It's It's like that's now a toxic idea. How do we model this in a way that brings us closer together rather than divides us further? We find out, first of all, you build a coalition. You and I build a coalition. You and I then build other coalitions and we bring people to the table who want to be at the table, right? You've heard this cliche before. You catch more flies with honey than you do with vinegar. So first thing is all of the people that want to have the same attitude that you and I have, we bring them together. Mm. The people who don't want to be in our coalition, then we find somebody with a talent and a skill set to go talk. Right. So imagine you got a, a team of kids. There's one kid that that wants to be in but acts like he doesn't want to be in, right? So you find out who has the ability to talk to that kid and say, hey, listen, I know you want to play, Mm. but you acting like you don't want to play. And then they have a conversation. Mm -hmm. And guess what? The kid comes down. Mm -hmm. Next thing you know, the kid slowly starts walking over to the, with the rest of the kids. Now he's part of the crew. That's, I mean, We've seen that movie before. It's not that difficult, right? We've seen it before. So if we've seen it before, why fight it? Why reinvent the wheel? We've seen how you build relationships, how you be diplomatic about it. Just because something, I mean, believe me, I graduated from Villanova. A lot of my teammates are Republicans. I absolutely understand how to maintain and have a relationship, a loving relationship with guys who have differences based on, because 
more, more than likely they grew up Republican, just like I grew up uh, uh, Democratic. Sure. Right. They grew up Catholic. I grew up Baptist. That's okay. Yeah. It's okay. There's still, you can still find common ground and find things that you're interested in that you're willing to say this ultimate goal matters more than anything else. Yeah. And then you, and then you go from there. I love it. It's possible. Yeah. I love it. And it's, it's, I love just almost the frustration that you have of like, (laughs) it's possible. People are doing this. It's okay. It's like, (laughs) we've somehow gotten to this very divisive silo. Like, Oh, I noticed you're wearing a blue shirt. Okay. Well, that's it for us. You know, like this was a great interview until I saw, wow, blue shirt, huh? Wow. Okay. Wow. Like, and we forget all the fun and laughter and everything that we just did together. And guess what? If you were to if you were to say that to me, if we if we met for the first time, my response to that would be, do you know why I wear a blue shirt? Because every team I played for, school <laughs> colors, is blue and white. That's why. Right, 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 right. There's no hidden agenda. Right, my, right. High, my high school colors were blue and white. I got lucky enough that Cheney University's <laughs> colors is blue and white. Right. And then I get to Villanova and their colors is blue and white. <laughs> and that's it. That's we're, it. We're okay. We're gonna be fine here. We're gonna be fine. But Bodine, can you tell me why you named your book how you did race against against race? I yes. love it. I think it's because it's a it's an interrupter. It's like, wait a minute, and now I have questions. Uh, why did you choose that as your title? Because I was taught right early on, like when I the first twenty five percent of my manuscript I, I had written. I was spending time writing and thinking about what the title was going to be. Mm. And then one of my good uh, colleagues and uh, mentors, someone who had written a book, an author, said to me, don't think about the title of the book until you finish the manuscript. Mm. Interesting. Okay. It'll be easier. Mm -hmm. And once I not only listened to that, but digested it, meaning slept on it a couple of times yeah. and got into a habit of thinking about it and then decided to implement it. It made all the difference in the world because once my manuscript was done and then I was able to reread it, obviously, before I handed it off to my editor, I realized that I had accomplished what I intended to do. Mm. My manuscript was a binary narrative. Sports, race relations, but diversity and inclusion, which is another way of saying race relations. I accomplished the two things I wanted to talk about. Mm. So I said, well, I've got two things I want to talk about. Well, let's make the title along those same lines. Okay. So the word race Mm -hmm. is, has two meanings, Mm -hmm. competition and ethnicity. Mm-hmm. It was just that simple. I love it. And, so, and you, so race against yeah. would be the competitive and ethnicity against race. Because we're in America, we're always fighting whether or not it's us against them and all that stuff. Right. So it was easy. Mm. What do you want this book to do? Oh, easily. I mean, a number of things, but some of the things I've come to be able to articulate is it's easy to have a conversation and begin a dialogue, right? It's easy to start building a relationship with someone that's different from you. And I don't mean racially, just racially different. I mean, any way different than you, right? You come from an above class you know, wealthy family and you want to make friends with someone who struggled when they grew up, you know, their entire, you know, young life, it's still easy to make friendships. You just got to find something in common, Mm -hmm. but you don't start. Now, you know, Emmanuel Ocho, he is the uh, co-host of Speaks for Yourself with Marcellus Wiley on Fox Sports One. Mm -hmm. They have that sports debate program. Mm -hmm. Emmanuel Acho played for the Eagles for a little bit. He dipped his toe in the water. Uh, Marcellus Wiley played for the Buffalo Bills. He was in the league at least 10 or 12 years. So he's a seasoned vet. Mm -hmm. Emmanuel Acho wrote a book and 
the title of his book is Uncomfortable Conversations with a Black Man. Hmm. Okay. You know where he's coming from. Mm-hmm. It's okay. I don't have a problem with folks who want to have an uncomfortable conversation. My approach is different. You build a relationship first. You start with the low-hanging fruit. As you build that relationship, and next thing you know, you've been friends for six months to a year, when the uncomfortable conversation comes along, you are so entrenched in your friendship, there's no way you're going to walk away from that uncomfortable conversation and not have a positive outcome. If you meet somebody for the first time and you start talking about Black Lives Matter, Blue Lives Matter, all that stuff, that conversation ain't ending well, period. Right? What are the chances? It ain't ending well. So why, why, right? Why, you know, sure. People like, oh, we need to have these uncomfortable conversations. There are some people who can handle it. Mm -hmm. Athletes can handle it because we're used to being under pressure. Mm Not everybody's used to being under pressure. So why should you assume everybody's the same? Everybody's not the same. Some people are slow learners and quick studies. I easily put myself in that category, hmm. right? I have, I have four sisters who are still alive. I had a total of six who passed away. Hmm. All my sisters are smarter than me. Mm-hmm. I have no problem admitting that because they are. So if you can admit who you are, that's number one. That's a good thing. So I believe in low-hanging fruit. Give everybody an opportunity and let's do this together. If And then we'll pull those people in who started the uncomfortable conversation and didn't get anywhere with it. Then we'll pull them along as we travel down and get past the 50-yard line heading towards the, the, the end zone. I wish I could nominate you for something (laughs) or like we could as a culture, (laughs) like this kind of just, how have we lost the, this, this this makes so much sense to me, Bodine. It just makes sense to me. And what I see out in the culture doesn't make sense to me. And so how do you, other than this book, like how, how do we as a culture get back to, oh yeah, that's right. We need connection. We need to find common ground. Remember that thing we used to do? We used to play kickball. We used to play basketball. We used to play football. We used to we used to play video games. We used to talk about Bruce Lee movies. How, how do we as a culture begin to bridge this gap? People like you and I, giving our two cents worth, participating, giving, educating, inspiring. Mm-hmm. What I like to say is, listen, I... I'm not a preacher, I'm not a pastor, and I'm not the Pope, (laughs) right? (laughs) But I can give you what I know to be true. Yeah. And some are going to jump on it. Right. Some is going to take a little time and some is going to take a little longer. Yeah. But that shouldn't change my efforts. Mm. Right. It shouldn't change my efforts because as long as we're making progress, we're making progress. And I don't mean just making progress just to be making progress. I mean, we have to literally take and put forth the effort. So us collaborating, you collaborating with other people, me collaborating with other people, and we create that chain. Yeah. Right. And, and, and not the chain of, Oh, I'm a Democrat or I'm a liberal or that chain of I'm a Republican, I'm the GOP. Right. That that's that's not the important. What's important is us as Americans. That's the ultimate goal. Right. Do you want to win the conference title or do you want to win the championship? I want to win the damn championship, right? Too many people settle for the conference championship thinking that that's that's more important than the championship. Yeah. Come on. The championship has always been the ultimate goal. Mm-hmm. So that's the point. Get everybody on the same page. Yeah. Right. And then we go from there. It can be done. You just got to have people willing to do it. Again, do you want to play football? Do you want to wrestle? Do you want to play baseball? What team do you want to be on? Pick ever, whichever one. But the when you get to that gym, the coach is going to say, do you want to be here? Right. 
if you don't want to be here, leave. Right. Nobody's forcing you to stay. Right. You don't go to the gym to be a baseball player. Right. If you go to the gym, you got your boxing gloves. You're ready for a coach or a mentor to teach you how to box. Right. Come on. <laughs> it's not that difficult. <laughs> it really isn't. <laughs> oh, man, I appreciate you. Bodine, for, for people who want to get your book, who want to find out more about you, who want to dive into your work, like where are you hanging out? Where can people find you? Where can, get, where, where can people get more of you? Because I think we oh. need a lot more of you. <laughs> hey, listen, uh, you can go to my website, bo-deansanders.com. You, you'll find me, you'll find my book, right, on my on the website, right? And all your online retailers are there. Spend some time on the website, you know, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, whatever you like to do, order it. A little secret, I heard, you know, Amazon gets it to you faster. Okay, good to know. Um, you'll find interviews, like I hope to have your, this interview sent to my web guy so he can post it on my website. Beautiful. People can see that what I'm talking about, it, you pretty much going to hear the same thing on a different scale. Like this is, we're talking like we're in a barbershop, right? Right. Some of the other interviews, you know, a little more, I'm a little more buttoned up. I got a dress shirt on. <laughs> so, it, you know, so you have to adjust, right? Sure. But pretty much it's just, I stay in my lane, man. I stay in my lane. Yeah. Because uh oh, it's it's really you got me now. It's it's really not that difficult. Um, yeah, you just stay in your lane. So go to my website; all the information's there, and 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 you can reach out to me by you know shooting me an email, you know, all that stuff. I, I you know, I had teammates who ordered my book and literally lock themselves in their media room or in their corporate office and read the entire book and didn't leave that office space. Good for and you. then I had some teammates that took their time reading the book. Yeah. Then I had teammates who would literally call me three times a day saying, man, I didn't know that. And we were <laughs> teammates and I didn't know that. Yeah. Right. So everybody reads differently. Everybody reacts differently. Yeah. But the point is, is that, there's enough people highlighted in this book where it's difficult. You hear, you hear people say, oh, if you want to have empathy for people walking their shoes, mm. Trevor, you know, it's, it's hard to walk in somebody's shoes, especially if you're white and I'm black. Mm -hmm. How am I going to walk in your shoes and how are you going to walk in mine? Sure. So what I did was I made sure I highlighted enough people where you would be able to identify with somebody easier in the book, right? There's Don DiCarlo, Bobby Lambert, uh, Bill McDonough. And if it's a female, one of our white sisters, there's Gene Fazio, uh, Joan McGuckin, uh, Dr. Lafferty. There's enough people in the book where somebody can say, I identify with not the author, but one of the characters, and I get what he was trying to do. I get what that person was trying to do. That's why people want to pick up the book. Because it's not a grievance book. It's a positive, factual, positive book. Amen. The goal is to make people say, I can do this. I didn't grow up in, in a diverse background or with diverse friends or work with people even in a diverse environment right now. That don't mean you still can't build relationships with the folks, especially good folks, right? right? Our parents told us to hang around good kids, not bad kids. Those people who didn't follow their parents' instructions are either in trouble right now or getting in trouble right now. Yeah. Those who followed their parents or a, a, an, an adult's instructions by saying, hang with people, good people, good kids, smart kids, it'll rub off on you. They're doing okay. Amen. Thank you, sir. Thank you for coming in. Thank you for your, for your energy, for your excitement, and most importantly, just the work that you're doing in the world. I truly appreciate a message that simply says, that makes sense. This sounds reasonable to me. This sounds like it would actually work. This sounds like he's speaking from experience. And Bodine, I think we need that so much more right now in the midst of all this hoopla and drama and finger pointing. 
and people doing their best to find uncommon ground while ignoring the massive amount of common ground in front of them. So my hats off to you, sir, for both the book and, and how you're living in the world. And I appreciate you for coming on the podcast. Well, Trevor, I appreciate it. Hey, listen, let's, let's collaborate. I'll follow your lead. Listen, yes, there, there's a way we both can do it and deliver the message. I'm, I'm open for whatever opportunities there's out there. I appreciate you having me on. Thank you, sir. Have a great rest of your day. Take care. Ciao. This is Traver Bohm signing off on another episode of the Uncivilized Podcast. If you enjoyed this, please give us a share. Give us a five-star rating on iTunes. And if you're interested in getting a hold of my book, Man Uncivilized, whether you're a man or a woman, please go to www.manuncivilized.com forward slash the book and get reading.